I have really appreciated this sermon series on the cross. So thank you, Fraser. And it has been so wonderful to have this input because I think there is a danger of us, especially if we've been believers for a while, of forgetting the amazing thing that God did for us. So it's great this morning to be able to focus on that and the reconciliation that God has done um, for us in Christ. It'll be helpful if you can have 2 Corinthians 5 in front of you, if you can see it, because I'll be referring to verses through uh, bits of verses out of that, the end of that chapter now and again. So if you can see it th that Matty read for us, that would be very good. We had a broken relationship. We had no relationship with God. We were separated from God. Um, separated from him, the Bible says, because of our sin and no relationship with him. And we couldn't do anything about that. We couldn't fix it. And the amazing thing about reconciliation is that God took the initiative to make it possible for us to be reconciled with him and to have a relationship with him. And I think sometimes for me and for all of us, we can forget the wonder of that, that the God of the universe can be known personally by you and me. Um, it's just amazing that God has done that. But there was a problem that couldn't be overlooked, and that problem was this separation um, between us and God. Um, I don't know if any of you have seen any of the programs, The Meaning of Life with Joe Duffy where he interviews kind of prominent people. I've watched a few of them and just been kind of saddened, I suppose, watching most of them. Uh, quite a few of the people that he has interviewed have said that they don't really have God in their life or think that God is important. And at the end of those chats, Joe Duffy asked the same strange question because he says to them, when you get to the pearly gates and meet him or her, what will you say to them? And it's very interesting. People who have said, oh, they don't know if they believe in God at all or they have a God of their own making, the number of them who sadly are really very arrogant and basically say, oh, I'll be all right. You know, he'll be, it'll be okay. You know, I'll get by and tell them what a good person I've been or whatever. And that is so contrary to what scripture says. And I'm increasingly aware in 2021 living in Ireland how we as believers are living against our culture and how different we are because of what we say about God and what God has done. So if you look at verse 19, it says there that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. So it isn't that the sins were ignored, is that God took the initiative to make a way so that our sins wouldn't be counted against us. Um, and then if you look at verse 21, and again, if we could read this as though you'd never read it before, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I'm going to show you an illustration that I got from Jim Murdoch, who some of you might know, Lorraine Corcoran's father. And it really helped me, and I've used it when I've been chatting with people. So I'm just going to use this folder. So imagine this, okay? This is Jesus, and if you imagine God there, okay? This is Jesus, complete access to God, free access with God his father. 
this is us. And sorry, now my hand's going to shake. Just ignore the shaking hand. <laughs> Stop. So this is us, and between us and God is this barrier that we can't do anything about. We can try and shift it. We can be, try and be good. We can try and be kind, make ourselves better. We cannot shift this. And verse 21, this is the great transaction, and that's partly why I wanted to talk about this subject. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. And when Jesus says on the cross, that awful cry of agony, my God, my God, not Father, but my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's because all our sin, our failures, our inadequacies, all the things we try and pretend are okay, God took all of that in himself. Now, that's a bit fine hard to understand because God is Jesus. Jesus is God. But put it all and the barrier went there so that we can have free access to God. That's just amazing. And that song that we sang, The Power of the Cross, this is the power of the cross. Christ became sin for us, took the blame, bore the wrath. We stand forgiven at the cross. And one of the other lines said, um, for through your suffering, I am free. That's the amazing transaction that God did. But that's not, we know this, it's not automatic. It doesn't just happen because God doesn't force us. We have to respond. And when we respond in repentance and come to God and ask him for his forgiveness, then that transaction becomes personal for you and me. But I think that's amazing. This reconciliation that God has done to make it possible for us to know him. So what's our response to this reconciliation with God? Look at verse 15 and then verse 17. He died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. And verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone, the new is here. As one writer put it, we change from being egocentric to being Christ-centric or at least that's what the Bible says we can be, that we can now live. So my life now should be different than if I wasn't a believer. And that means my, how I spend my money, my ambitions, my priorities in life, my motivation should be Christ-centric and not egocentric. Um, there's a phrase, I don't know where I got it from years ago, and it's been playing around in my head ever since. Only one life it will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life we have to live. It will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will be the thing that will last. Now, I know we know there aren't Martians, all right? There aren't, well, as far as I know, there aren't any people living on Mars. But here's a little thing I've thought about. If a Martian actually existed and came to earth and came to live with me for a month and at the end of the month they were asked the question what matters to Joan what are her priorities in life what can she not live without I wonder what that person if they had to write a report I wonder what they'd say pointless and quiz shows would be very high on the list as would coffee and chocolate um, but what would they say? And for all of us, I just think it's an interesting question to ask yourself. 
if somebody from the outside who knew nothing came and lived with us for a month, at the end of the month, what would they say mattered to us? Would they say that person lives for God? Would they say that the Christ is the center of that person's life? It's just a question that challenges me. I was very impacted um, by what Alan shared last week. And one of the things that struck me was so many people in northern India and other parts of the world living with fear of persecution, physical violence and death know that they're living for God every day. It's very clear because it demands everything of them and they don't know whether they'll live or die. They might lose their job because of it or whatever. And over and over again, when I've read stuff from the suffering church, they've said this, don't pity us. We're living the life that God says in the Bible we would live. And that really impacts me. And maybe it's clearer for them that they're living for God counterculture. And the danger is for us living in Ireland and other parts of the Western world, that we're kind of so assimilated into our culture that we're not that much different. That's a real challenge to me. Because here's the thing that it says here, God has reconciled us to Christ. Then look at verse 19 and verse 20. All this is from God who reconciled, verse 18, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. And that's a repeat of verse 18, just in case we didn't get it. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, although, as though God were making his appeal through us. That is incredible. That is mind-blowing. That God is still wanting to reconcile people to himself, our friends, our neighbors, our family members, our work colleagues, folk in school, folk in college, and he wants to do it through us. And I think it is sad that Satan, who tells lies, <laughs> has tried to see us, get us to think that that's a negative thing. Oh dear, this is something you know you really ought to be doing, <laughs> rather than this wonderful gift that God has given us. Think of it like this. I find this helpful. Imagine if that wasn't the case. Imagine if when you became a believer, it was this. You're now a believer and you have a relationship with me, but you see everybody else around you, you can't do anything about them. You can't have any positive influence towards me in their life. You just, you just get on with living for me. Wouldn't that be awful? if we really felt that we couldn't do anything about all those people that we love and who don't know Christ yet. The wonderful thing is that we have an influence. One of the things I've loved about the This Time Tomorrow slot, and uh, haven't quite got around to all of you yet, but that's coming hopefully, is this, that we are being the fragrance of Christ. And if, we, if we've listened each week on Zoom or, or whatever, to hear people talk about how they're living for God in their home, in their life, in their relationships. We are the fragrance of Christ. And through that, God is using us to show himself to other people so that they can be reconciled to him. What's an ambassador? 
An ambassador is somebody who represents their home country when they're living in a foreign country. Sometimes, as I said before, the problem is that we don't live as though we're living in a foreign culture. We're just so at home here. We're just so similar to everybody else. Christians facing persecution are very aware, as I said, that they, this world is not actually their home. They're living for God and facing whatever they're facing. Look at verse um, 16. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Isn't that interesting? You see, I've been aware at times in my life when I think of being an ambassador for God, I look at people around me and I kind of assess whether they'd be interested in God or not. So if some people over here are said, and probably those ones who appear needy and have difficulties and problems, and then over here I would have some of the successful wealthy, well-doing, comfortable people. And in my mind, I'm going, these ones would be interested in God, but not these ones. And God is saying, Joan, I died for them all. I'm relevant to every person. I'll give you an example of when God pointed this out to me. Um, hairdresser before COVID, way back, some years ago. And this girl who was doing my hair was very young. Her hair was kind of pink and purple, and she seemed very hip and happening and cool, you know? And I'm sitting there and we get chatting. And then you see hairdressers ask me what I do. Well, then, you know, and I find different ways of talking about how I teach in IBI and I teach pastoral care. And the fact that I teach about things like depression and bereavement and so on is easier to talk about that. Anyway, we got talking then. So I said something about I tend to say to people, you know, I'm what I would call a practicing Christian. You know, I actually believe it and seek to follow Jesus. And I was just watching her face, and she said, you know, you sound like my granny. My granny gave me this book to read, The Word for Today. And I walked out of that place thinking, there was me looking at her and thinking she wouldn't be interested. And it's actually a thing I do now um, for myself. So when we moved into Porter's Gate Close, I tell myself that all our neighbors have a believer somewhere in the world who's praying for them and praying that they would meet a believer. Could be true, so why not? So everybody I meet, I tell myself, some believer somewhere is praying for them and praying that God would put a believer next to them and he's put me there. Do you see what I mean? It just changes my thinking when I look at people. I don't know what their thinking is. I don't know, and so often we can judge people from the outside. And the thing is, God is relevant to each one of them, and God wants to bring them to know him. So we live our lives, and we take opportunities to talk about God, and we think of how we can do that. There's a phrase that has gone around in recent years, and people have said it comes from St. Francis of Assisi, preach the gospel at all times, use words if necessary, Apparently, he never wrote it or said it. And the thing is, it's actually not true. I'll tell you why. Matthew 5, verse 16 says this. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You see, if, I just, if I just seek to be a good person, then I get all the glory, and God doesn't, unless at some point I acknowledge that who I live for give you another example from in Thurlis. 
Um, this lady I got to know when she was coming along to ladies' evenings that we did in the church. And I bumped into her one day in the supermarket. She knows I've told this story, by the way. And she said to me, we were chatting, she said, you know, Joan, one of the things that really impresses me about you is how you're always so serene. Well, I laughed and laughed. I said, oh, she's also called Joan. I said, Joan, that's not a word that people would use to describe me. And I said, it's not a word my husband or my children would use to describe me. And then, honestly, it was as though there was this tap, tap, tap on my shoulder. And this voice saying, excuse me, Joan, what about me? We pray for opportunities. God gives us an opportunity and I'm going, you know, chase it away. I said, Joan, actually, if you see, I don't know how, but if you see anything like that in me, I don't know what I said. You know, I do seek to follow Jesus or I do seek to live for God. So if you see anything like that, that's God. Do you know, mind you, I must tell you the end of the story. Well, not the end, but one day... Uh, Ages later, when we got to know each other better, she, she reminded me of this and she said, Joan, I see what you mean now about you not always being serene. <laughs> I tried not to take that as a bad witness, by the way. But just that God is living in us by the Holy Spirit, we need to explain to people sometimes graciously why. And Christmas coming up gives us loads of opportunities. So we're reconciled to God because he has made it possible and he has done it. But he's given us this wonderful privilege of being his ambassadors to see other people become reconciled to God. When we were in Thurlis, I came across a song that has meant such a lot to me and has become like a prayer ever since. And I mentioned it to Peter last week. Peter didn't know this song. Isn't that amazing? A song that Peter didn't know. And Peter this week has learnt this song so that he can sing it for us all now. And as he sings it, I want you, the words are going to go up now, and I'm going to just mention some of the words to you. And then as Peter sings it, just can we make it a prayer of our hearts? Because I just love this, send me out from me. We come into church to strengthen and support each other, but our prayer is, send me out Send us out from here, Lord, to serve a world in need. May I know no one by the coat they wear. Here's the interesting thing. I don't know if the person who wrote this meant physical coats, but to me it means coats, people, how people present themselves. May I know no one by the, the appearance they give. May I not judge or assess who'd be interested in God who wouldn't. But the heart that Jesus sees May the light of your face shine upon me, Lord. You have filled my heart with the greatest joy. We have the best gift ever. Why would we not want to share that with people? And my cup is overflowing. Go now, carry the news to all creation, every race and tongue. Take no purse with you, take nothing to eat. That just means rely on God, for he will supply your needs. And then it goes on. And the interesting thing is... Um, if you can show the, the last line, because at the end, yeah, full of the Spirit of Christ. Interesting, the version we had in Mission Praise in Thurlis, the last line said, it said, and ready to die. <laughs> and some Christians in the world, that's exactly how they're living. So I don't know whether somebody wrote that in. But it is that kind of idea that because we're full of the Spirit of Christ, 
we every day we're dying to ourselves so we live for God and we're living for other people. So I'm so grateful to Peter and Peter's going to come and sing that now. Let us make it a prayer as we go.